So as, as Pastor was speaking about Pastor Chuck, you know, he's speaking right here, and all I could do is look at this the whole time. As everybody was coming up for prayer, all the, the various needs that we have in this church, ranging from um, physical to mental to emotional, those types of things, even spiritual needs, we're praying right beside this sign, right beside this phrase that's taken from Scripture in Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was in prison, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. How many of you appreciate a word from the Lord? It's all you need is a word from the Lord. It's nice to have one from my wife and the people that are close to me, but I need a word from the Lord. That's what helps me. That's what sustains me. That's what keeps me. That's what inspires and motivates and encourages and nudges and causes action and belief. So I pray that faith is deposited in your hearts this morning. I do want to say that the offering that we took up for Pastor Chuck totaled $2,000. So thank you so much for that. That'll be a great contribution for him. However... Now, you have to understand that uh, before I get into my message, I want to lay a little bit of foundation. And I had put on social media last night, come and check out the service because I want to share with you a scripture that has been my favorite scripture. I know that Jace was talking about a a life verse at one point, and I thought, "I, I have one of those, and maybe you do too, but... You know, I don't just like randomly pick, well, that's a good one. This, this became alive to me when I was 16 years old. That's 25 years ago. You do the math. So 25 years ago when I was 16, actually next week will be 25 years since I really genuinely and sincerely gave my heart to the Lord and really started to believe and started to believe this verse because this was a mindset that I started to adopt, started to make part of my life. And it's not a matter of like, you know, Daniel or or King Nebuchadnezzar and the Hebrew boys and they were going to be thrown into the fire and they said, I believe that that he will and that he wants to and he can and all these things, but even if he doesn't, let it be known we will not bow to your gods. And I think we, we have to have a mindset here. I don't know that he will and that doesn't mean that I don't have faith, but I know that he can. And that's a really, that's a really big difference in a mindset. That, that will determine the type of faith that you walk through this life with, is believing that he can. And if you take this out of context, as I did when I was 16, I just thought and believed it was so simple to me. God, you can do anything. Anything. And I just have held on to that for 25 years. So when I have been in situations where I'm praying and I, I don't, since I was 16, I would just think, well, you, you can. I, I, I wasn't hindered by not believing because now he may not, but I know that he can. Do you understand that? And that, that has caused me to walk through this life in the belief of an omnipotent God, all-powerful. Do you believe that this morning? So the, the story behind this banner is in uh, April of 2009, I was out in L.A. visiting my brother-in-law, and we had gone to a church, and you will notice on the lower right side it says AG, that's an Assemblies of God church, and Pastor Lauren Hicks, who is now pastoring another church, was there for, gosh, 15 years, I don't know, at least, and, and he had two of these banners, so I thought, well, I could have one, right? So... I had two of these banners, and they were hanging up on the back side of the, the church, and he was preaching a series on this. So afterwards, I'm like, that's my favorite scripture. I got, is there any way that I could get one of these? And you have not because you asked not. So, and two months later, it shows up in a tube at my door, and I unroll I'm like, no, this is awesome. So this is, this is kind of my life verse because at 16, I started to believe so my message titled this morning is, you, you're invited to believe. You're invited. The invitation is there to come to a table where God provides everything. Amen. So that came, and this has been hanging up over in my youth office over there since we opened the youth center May of 2012 and t- uh, named it The Remedy, and this has been in my office for coming up on eight years now. And I see it all the time over there. And it, and it encourages me and reminds me, no, nothing's too hard. It doesn't matter your circumstance, your predicament, your situation. If you could just have this mindset and view of God, 
It will help you in your life. Now listen to this, Jeremiah 32, 27, as you can see at the bottom of this banner. It says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So Jehovah, to give you some background, this self-existent being that, that gives being to all creatures and is particularly the God of all men, breaking this verse down, the maker and preserver of them and that provides for them who are called flesh to, to kind of note their weakness and corruption, calling us flesh, and how unworthy of God's favor that we are, and how unable to really resist God's will, aren't we? Or hinder the, the carrying out or the execution of his purposes. And this scripture is introduced with a behold. Behold, which is to excite attention. Behold, something good is coming. It's to excite attention. To take notice of what was said. To encourage faith and to remove doubt and difficulties. It is God, Jehovah, the being of beings. If he is the God and the governor of the world and all men and women and children in it, what is it, new hope, that he cannot do? Tell me what he cannot do. So he asks the question. It's got to be rhetorical. He knows the answer. Is there anything too hard for me? Do you believe that scripture? Amen. So listen to this. I'm going to kind of mess with you a little bit. So theologically, nothing is too difficult for God. And a lot of people throughout history have even asked, like, could God make a rock so heavy that he himself couldn't lift it? Because either way you answer that question with a yes or a no, you are denying God's omnipotence. But listen to this. There are some things that the Lord can't do. Do we know the word? See, practically in Hebrews 6.18 it says that God cannot lie. James 1.13 tells us, For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor tempteth he any man. 2 Timothy 2.13 states that he cannot deny himself. So these things don't take away from God's omnipotence, and if you go back to the little riddle, if you want to see it that way, they kind of, these things that he can't do, they, they teach that he is only limited really by his own perfection. So because he is perfect, he cannot lie. He cannot be tempted by evil, and he cannot deny himself. See, no good thing is too difficult for our Lord. But listen, no evil thing is too strong to overpower him, and that is omnipotence. Do you understand this morning? God is omnipotent. Do you believe that he can do anything? So if you consider in the words some impossible situations with it, which there were many because it seems that's when God would move is we would reach the end of our own strength, the end of our own resources. So you look at Sarah who was 90 and, and she's going to have a baby. What? And God says, yes, you will. And actually you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter because when God said you're going to have a baby at 90, she laughed at God. It was laughable. And they said, name him Isaac, because that means laughter. Isn't that funny? I can do anything, God says. What about Abraham when he was so quickly and willing to sacrifice Isaac, his son, on the altar? He just believed that God could raise him from the dead if he wanted to very, very quickly, even though up until that point in history, that miracle hadn't been done yet, being raised from the dead. But Abraham was willing to do it so quickly because he knew the voice of the Lord. He trusted the voice of the Lord. He knew that God could do absolutely anything. 
Not that he would, but he knew that he could. So that produces faith. It produces action. Because I know God can. What about Joshua when he was fighting the battle and there wasn't enough daylight left? So we asked God to suspend the sun in the air so they could finish off the job. Do you believe God can do anything? Do you believe that he can halt the rotation of the earth and every side effect scientifically, scientifically that come with that miracle? Because he can do anything. What about Lazarus? When he says, come forth, in grave clothes and all, we should be worshiping in our grave clothes. He is omnipotent. So we can apply this here because sometimes our, our doubt centers around our, our own sinfulness of heart. When we start to doubt, sometimes a person might think, well, well, I'm too wicked for God to forgive. But is anything too hard for God? This is in our own minds. Am I too wicked for God to forgive? See, many times this is, a, this is kind of a, a camouflage that's really, it might be hiding an unwillingness to repent. Some people have very serious issues with accepting forgiveness. Amen? Even Isaac Watts, an author of an old hymn, says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Savior die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? If you're having trouble believing that God could forgive you, take your eyes off your sins and put them on Jesus Christ. Because there is nothing too difficult for him. The wonder of his love. See, he knew perfectly well how sinful you and I were. How depraved that we were. That we, he would come and he would die for us anyway, fully knowing that. Proving that nothing is beyond the reach of God's strength. Maybe you don't see your prayers answered. Maybe we long for non-Christian family members and friends to put their trust in Christ. We, we witness to them. We, we attempt to shine for them. We share the gospel with them in some way maybe. Maybe we pray for them or we love them. But they remain unmoved. Have you seen it before? Sometimes we may feel that, that God is at the mercy, really, of their own unbelief. That he wants to save them, but maybe, he's, maybe God is hindered by their stubbornness. You have to remember that he saved you. How did he do this? See, he, he can get through to non-believers, Amen. who seem unreachable. And he's not going to force us to believe against our will, but he can make us willing, the Bible says. He opens our eyes to truth, and we immediately, come on, fall in love with Christ. Have you been there? Nothing is too difficult for God. Temptation is another area where we, we may doubt the Lord's strength. We might doubt the Lord's might. We might really uh, very easily give in or yield to certain weaknesses that we have. Being enticed, as the Word says, because even as a Christian, we kind of feel helpless against these things at times. We become really an easy target for these, these darts, these fiery missiles that the enemy launches. But I want to say to this morning, don't confuse the Lord's power with your own. We know we're, we're not a match for temptation. We can't do it. But we can't assume that our Heavenly Father is as well. See, God is able to set us free. He's able to uh, break the chains. He's able to liberate us from drug addiction, tobacco addiction, alcoholism, smoking, lust, profanity, temper tantrums, and anger, and pride, and jealousy. Right? Is He? 
He can do this because Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, listen up, something good is coming. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Consider every area of your life. Maybe you've given up in seeing your broken marriage restored. You're starting to throw in the towel. Is it too hard of a task for the Lord to straighten out your wayward children or your wayward child? Is that too hard for Him? Can He heal you from a terminal disease? Can He? Will He answer your prayers? Can He? Can He find you the right job? See, he can do all these things because he is Lord. Behold, the Lord, the God of all flesh. The Lord, which means master. Your new boss. Can he? Nothing is too difficult for him. He asks, is there anything too difficult for me, Jeremiah? when he's in prison, and it's about Israel, and he says to Jeremiah, it's a question that should deposit faith. Remember when he says to Job, were you there when I did this? Every area, this kind of urges me to, to view maybe a seemingly hopeless situation as an opportunity, not a duty, but an opportunity to put my faith and my trust in the Lord. What an opportunity it is for those of you who've been through unbelievable situations to view it as an opportunity to put your trust in the Lord who says, is there anything too hard for me? Don't stray, don't waver, I have you. Surely God is worthy of our trust in everyday problems, is he not? Just as much as he is in a once in a lifetime crisis. Every single day. See, nothing is too difficult for him. Jeremiah 32, 27 encourages us to act on our faith. It, it, it's easy to believe in God's omnipotence, but when an impossible situation confronts us or confronts me, we need to stop worrying and trust our Lord to see us through. So what is your impossible situation this morning? What is the most difficult thing for you in life? Is it too difficult for you to trust in an almighty God? See, I, I will tell you that the real weakness in this whole scenario here doesn't lie in, in our Father, but in our faith. How do we view Him? What is our perspective of Him? And I feel like God has, since I was 16, He just kind of gave me a courage and a boldness that hasn't left me, thank God. And sometimes it's a little overwhelming to be around me. I get it. But I have walked since I was 16 with a faith and a courage and a boldness. And I'm like, no, nothing is too difficult for him. I, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to break it down. I just have that perspective of God. And I've been through some things in my life that have put me to my knees where I'm gasping for air and I'm crying but that, that perspective never left. So listen to this. I'm going to transition here a little bit more specifically into a situation. So the book of Judges, if you want to go there, describes the time when Israel, God's own people, were called to be this supernatural testimony. And they started to, to deal with God's presence deceitfully. And they refused to walk honestly with God and grew kind of casual in their worship of Him. So dealing deceitfully with God always results in powerlessness. You feel like you have no strength, no power. Sometimes we hold the truth of God as a lie and deal with it. In a, in, a, in a juvenile way, in a new beginner type of a way, and very treacherously, so to speak. And it renders us powerless. It eventually gives way to the enemies of the society that we're in right now, of a culture that hates you as a Christian. 
And by enemies, if you think about your life, I'm, I'm really, you, of course there's the devil, but I'm, I'm referring to those who, they don't know God. Because they have another plan for you. They don't know God. Listen, they have no desire to know God. And they don't want anyone in a relationship with God. So we're living kind of in a day very similar to this period. It was during this this, this harvest season that Israel's enemies, and then it was the Midianites, came to devour everything that was being gathered by the people of God. They intended to bring the Israelites to a state of brokenness, a state of poverty, rendering them unable to, to, to fulfill their God-given purpose on earth. Do you sometimes f- feel like you're unable to to live in the purpose that God has created you to live in? And you're always wondering, is this it? Is there more? Did I miss it? Knowing that they were far outnumbered by the enemy, which actually the scripture describes as being so outnumbered, so many people that they covered the earth like sand. And the children of Israel began to cry out to the Lord. Kind of like what is happening, was starting to happen, or what needs to happen in our day, where the children are crying out to the Lord. And we kind of, we, we, God hears us when we cry out. He hears the, the cry of a single mother whose children are on the streets, whose children are gone. He hears the cry of a, of a father who's praying to provide for his family. He hears the, the, the cry of, uh, for, for wayward children, those who have bitterness and anger and hatred in their hearts. And they're wayward. They want to experience the world, even though the Bible says, don't taste and see that the world isn't good. Taste and see that I am good. He hears the cries of those that read the news and these, the horrific crimes. You can see now what's being done and happening all over the globe. He hears the cries when you pray. He hears you when you pray. Something that produces so much results. Such a place that's so difficult to actually go to. I want to do a message coming out of the closet, the prayer closet, as a lion. I mean, there's so much strength that is given there. There's so much hope and encouragement that is given there. Why is it so hard to go there? Is it God, the enemy hates you. He resists you. God calls you, come away with me, my beloved. And we come back out of the wilderness leaving, leaning, leaning in the, on the bosom of our beloved. Trusting him, putting our faith in him, empowered by him. The Bible tells us that in response to the cries of his people, the, the angel of the Lord one night to a young man named Gideon. And, and it says in the word that Gideon was the least in his father's house. But he also says that his father's house was the least in Israel. So you're talking the least of the least. He's the least in the house, and he's the least house of all the houses. The worst. The least. The lowest. The least house, the least person in that house, the least of everyone. But see, God still comes to him, and it's not really a surprise that when God kind of comes to him, I mean, Gideon's dumbfounded because he calls him a mighty man of valor, and he's the least of the least of the least, and he calls him, he calls you what you are. He calls you what he has called you to be. And he's probably confused and dumbfounded because he's the least of the least. He has no strength, he has no resources, but he calls him. So if you were to imagine if the Lord were to come to you today and call you a mighty man or a woman of valor, how would you feel about that? Would you believe it? Knowing you, knowing your flesh, knowing your failures and your frailty, and he calls you that. He's calling you what you are. He's calling you what you were destined to be. See, if Gideon already had a hard time believing that, imagine how shocked he was when God told him that you are a mighty man of valor and I'm going to be sending you to destroy the enemy and you're going to go down with only 300 people. So then he calls you what you don't think you are. You don't believe it. Then he calls you to do this unbelievable task. An army that size up against 120,000 Midianites. 300 versus 120,000. This is what God does. Is there anything that he cannot do? 
Obviously, an army of that size up against 120,000 Midianites was not very good odds. In the natural. There are certain seasons, though, in the Word of God and in your life and in my life when God shows Himself strong. And He always does it where we're outnumbered, where the odds are against us. It's a supernatural undertaking. It's supernatural. That's why this doesn't make sense naturally. But when I start to get a shot of, of faith supernaturally, I can't be stopped, can you? And it has nothing to do with me. It's belief when I'm going to fight and the enemy sees this huge guy behind me and I don't know he's there and they run. <laughs> it, it's him. It's all about him and has nothing to do with me. You understand that he typically chooses seemingly insignificant people. And his ways do not change. That should give you hope. So the message this morning is you are invited to believe. You're invited to believe. Luke 14, 1 through 17. I'm referring to that, but I'm speaking. It says, a certain man had a great supper. And he bade many to come. And he sent forth his servant at supper, supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all the things are ready now. Everything is ready now. So when I'm invited to this table, I'm invited to this smorgasbord that God is providing. I'm, 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 I'm invited to this banquet, so to speak. We have to choose to get rid of pride and everything, all self-reliance to this incredible feast that God has provided, this banquet that He is calling us to. You are invited. In other words, this, this man issued an invitation. There's an invite. This great feast. Much the, 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 the Lord invites us to come to this incredible feast of, of life and of strength that, where He's going to be offering vision and, and direction for your life and provision for you. Uh, uh, your future can be found there. He's inviting you to it. Everything is ready, the Bible says. But, however, those who were invited started to present their excuses as to why they couldn't come. Some doubted. Some people just, they just didn't want to go. They just didn't want to go. Maybe some felt obligated to bring something to the banquet. Maybe they were embarrassed because they didn't have anything to bring. If, say, you were invited to a wedding, and maybe you don't know the bride and groom very well. Maybe you do, depending on the closeness and relationship that you have with them. That might determine the gift that you get for them. You might feel obligated, but because of the lack of your own resources, it, it just ultimately leads you to say, no, I'm not going. I don't want to go. It's kind of a cover-up. I don't have anything to bring. So this is kind of the same issue that we face today. God is saying, I, listen, come. I want to do something through your life. And listen, it's 2020. I can't believe it's 2020. Jace preached a week or two ago that let this be the year of our Lord. That means let the Lord come back for His bride. Let the Lord come back for His bride. Are you ready? Oh my goodness. Does it make you a little fearful and your knees knock? Me? Absolutely. I'm flesh. But do you look for His coming? Do you long for it? Or are you saying, Man, I needed this scripture today because there are some things in my life I'm holding on to, but nothing is too difficult for God. So we get this invitation from the Lord. We have this sense that we should be taking something, providing something, because when you're invited to something, maybe even a house gift when you're invited for company. Did you know that it's, it's, it's kind of common practice, and I was looking this up in our society today, and this might not be true in 2020, but I, I looked this up, that the gift that is brought to the wedding should be, uh, should be really of equal value to the meal that's being served at the wedding. Probably, you've probably heard of that. It's called the, the, the cover your plate philosophy, right? So you might think, well, that's my sister. Uh, maybe maybe um, a bride and a groom, they're not going to tell you the amount of the plate that's being served at the wedding. $13 a plate. It's a $50 a plate dinner. 
Whatever it is, then that should equal the gift that you get should have the value of the meal that's being served at the wedding. Do you understand? I'm going to take you somewhere here. So, so the meal that's being served should, should be equal in value to the gift that you're bringing to cover your plate, so to speak. But this banquet that you're being invited to, it's impossible to equal the amount of what's being served. How can you bring a gift that is equal to the blood of Christ? How can you cover your plate, so to speak? It would be impossible to attempt to even do this. It's crazy to think that we could ever bring something comparable to that price. Even if we felt obligated to bring a gift. It kind of takes us a really long time uh, of the point of realizing that this banquet that you are being invited to, Jesus isn't joking when he says this. He says, come as you are. Come as you are. With your frailties, with your weaknesses. Come as you are. I'm not asking you to cover your plate. You can't. So Isaiah in Isaiah 51 basically talks about uh, come those who have no money. Come those who have no skill. Come those who have no ability. Come and buy and be satisfied. Eat what will truly satisfy you. Just come. The invite to believe is there. And what's being provided at this feast. But see I, I kind of often... I doubt myself and I fear my own smallness and we're afraid that we're incapable of meeting this great need that's all around me in the city of Zanesville, in the workplace. I'm incapable, so I'm just going to stay home. See, I don't mind coming to church. You don't mind coming to church. You don't mind singing songs. And we might gladly support somebody else who's called to do something and do the rise up and maybe do the work for us, or maybe you send money away through some TV preacher. The days of that are over. Superstar preachers, it's over. It's going to take the whole church of Jesus Christ in our weakness doing what God has called us to do. Do you understand that? See, what a great idea maybe Moses said. What a great idea for you to set three million people free. That's great. I'll support the guy you choose to do that. And he says, uh, it's you. But I'm 80. I don't carry a sword anymore. I can't even pick up a sword anymore. I carry a stick. That's it. Do you understand? Listen to this. But the Lord said, I'm sending you. I stutter. I've lost my power of speech. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm 80. My strength is gone. See, that's what God does. And he can do it when you're 20, but there has to be a realization here that I'm nothing. He's everything. I can't do anything. He can do everything. I put my faith and my trust in you, and you can make me go places that I can't go in my natural strength. You can give me words that I can't think of. Think of your job. Think of your family. Think of just being out and representing the Lord Jesus. Because of this belief, and understanding that without him, I can't do anything. It's not unbelief to consider our own weaknesses, our own shortcomings. That's not unbelief. Jesus said in Luke 14, 31, What king going to war with another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? It's not wrong to say I'm weak and I'm not a good speaker and well, I don't have royalty in my blood. I have no access to power, no resources. I don't, my bank account is laughable. See, it's not wrong to be realistic. It's not wrong to break this down. But see, the danger comes when we draw a wrong conclusion about God. So this is what the children of Israel did when they, they came to Egypt. They reached the border of the promised land and the men who had been sent in to spy out the land came back and reported in Numbers 13. And it talks about this in 27 through 33. It says, 
It's everything that God said it was, but there's giants there and we seem so small in the sight of what we are going to have to fight against, not only to conquer the lamb, but to maintain and to keep it. It said, I don't think we can do it. There's your belief. There's the mindset. Because what is your perspective of the God who can? And God calls us to that. See, listen, if we're coming to the wrong conclusion, part A here is we, I'm, I'm rightly viewing myself. I, I, I have no resources. I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. Look at this army. We're too small. See, I, I've, I've rightly estimated myself, but I've come to the wrong conclusion of God. Luke 14, says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he has, you can't be my disciple. Now, now, just listen. See, that doesn't mean that you have to go and give away your house. We misinterpret even this because we, we misinterpret this because it gives us a, a cop-out. It gives us a way to say, Oh, I can't do it because I'm going to sell my house and I'm going to do this and sell it. It doesn't mean you have to give away your house and give away all your money and quit your job because that's faith and that's foolish. You better be sure it's God's voice. So Jesus was saying we have to not, not give away all these physical things. It's not a physical kingdom. But he's saying you have to come to the end of yourself. You have to give away your own thoughts of ever doing this and walking with the Lord in your own strength. You have to give your pride away. You have to lay these things down. The, the, the forces against the testimony, your testimony, your story, what God has done with you and for you and through you and brought you from and out of. The forces against your testimony in this generation, they're too powerful for you. They're too strong for you. You cannot combat them. You cannot fight them. You will get sucked right in. That's why it's supernatural. See these social trends, and as a, in education and as a youth pastor for years and years, decades actually, these social trends they are and always have going in the opposite direction of God. And they're too powerful for you. You get sucked in. For how long? 30 second devotion, two hours of scrolling. Sucked in. They're too strong for us. And they are in the complete opposite direction of the Word of God. The battle is too strong. We have to, to get rid of depending on ourselves. We have to show up to this invite, an invitation to believe that God can and could and can do anything. Nothing is too difficult for Him. We have to come as we are to this incredible feast, this banquet of God. And I, I read and heard one time that it, you, you kind of feel like breadcrumbs at a banquet. You feel insufficient, you feel inadequate, you feel like you are unworthy. But you have to understand that God is inviting you to come with your frailties, with your struggles, with your confusion about God, who He is and what He's decided to do sovereignly in your life. And to come with your pain. Come that way. There's something that he, he's calling you specific. See, there's the, the, the revealed will of God, if you will. It, there are no-brainer things that we should be obedient to in the Word of God. I don't have to think about it, pray about it. God says this, I do that, right? But there's also the unique will of God for you, personally, specifically, uniquely for you. And he goes far beyond what you could even possibly imagine. This recruitment strategy that God has in the church of Jesus Christ. It's never changed. It's never changed. He calls the unqualified to do the supernatural. He calls the teenagers to do the supernatural. I, I, I need a group of teenagers that can get hungry for God. I need a group of teenagers that will pray. That, and adults that don't have to be called on. That will come up and maybe form a group like we did 20 years ago. Because you're stirred. Because you're hungry. But that happens and is reflective because of your own time with God. 
Can somebody believe this today? The most difficult thing to believe is that he can resuscitate you, that he can resurrect you and call you and have you commit and be a force that the devil has to reckon with in this generation. You need to believe that. It means that I qualify. It means that you qualify. We can't refuse this invite to believe where God's strength is being provided. This is every day he invites you to a time of prayer, to a time of study, even a few minutes. And if we continue to refuse to show up, we will not get the strength and the provision and the power that he has promised. God calls us to walk supernaturally in the things we, we consider ourselves unqualified for. Fear rises up in our hearts. This is exactly what happened with Gideon. So the Lord instructed him in Judges 7, 9 through 11. This is one of the crazy things. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, get thee down unto the host to the camp of the enemy, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you fear to go down, go with your, uh, thy servant down to the host that you can hear what they're saying. And afterwards, that'll produce some motivation, so to speak, and shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. In other words, if you are afraid, if you have fear in your heart to go down to the enemy's tent, if you are scared of that, you're going to hear what they're saying. It's going to give you strength to do what you need to do. Because in the natural, this situation, it's a suicide mission. So in Judges, it says, They went down to Fura his servant into the outside of the armed men that were in the host. This is 11 through 14. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along like sand by the sea for the multitude. This is how they pictured them. That's how outnumbered they are. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. Listen to this dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it. What a weird vision. And the tent lay along, and his fellow answered and said, there's nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Now, that to me, a giant piece of bread rolling down a hill, that's the vision, that's the great and powerful vision that you had. It destroyed the enemy. Remember, you're a bunch of breadcrumbs at a banquet, right? See, you would kind of expect the Lord in this situation to come up with a little bit something, I don't know, more like, whoa, like extraordinary or powerful or like, no, that's a vision. That's a dream. But bread rolling down a hill? And, and he gives them this. Like, maybe the vision could have been like, I, I saw Elijah and Elijah and chariots coming down from heaven and lightning and thunder and fire and thousands upon thousands and angels with so That wasn't a vision. It was a loaf of bread rolling down a hill. Powerful, right? And from the other man, they kind of would say, well, th this is, he was saying at the end there, this is none other than the sword of God and the sword of Gideon. He has given the whole host into the hand of Gideon. But I, I want to make a point here. How did the, how did the enemy know this? That this is the, the voice of the Lord, the sword of the Lord, the sword of Gideon. The unsaved people in your life, I think they're, they're afraid of the power of God. I think they know the power of God maybe more than you do. How'd the enemy even know this? They, they, they know that we forget. As the church, we forget. Now the enemy, see, they've been on the receiving end time and time again. They know how God moves. They know how he uses a minority to defeat a majority. They've seen it happen. They see themselves wiped out over and over again. So, but we as Christians, we tend to forget the power of God. The enemy, when something like that happens and they lose thousands, tens of thousands of people, they understand the power of God. Man, I hope they don't call or have a vision or trust the power of God in this. It'd be nice if they just come to us naturally with swords and weapons in this because they would out, we outnumber them. We'll defeat them easily. But they knew the power of God, and that's what the saints of God tend to forget. In this church, we forget the power of God. We forget the force of the power of God. 
They knew this. They knew what happened when, when even suddenly, when even just a few of God's people would decide to come together and go forward. They knew the danger that it would be to the kingdom of darkness when a loaf of barley came rolling down the hill. They knew it. They understood. They had this understanding. And you know that a, a loaf of bread, all it is is a bunch of breadcrumbs bread gathered at the table ready to move forward. It's you. You are a breadcrumb at a banquet. But when the breadcrumbs decide to move, it impacts everyone. It's nothing more than just a bunch of breadcrumbs all getting together at a church, deciding as one to make an impact in this generation. We're living in an hour where we have to surrender our pride. It's at the top of the list that the Lord hates. Our human reasoning, we have to surrender wanting to be seen as someone greater. See, we're all just breadcrumbs at this feast, at a banquet, every single one of us. Can you say this morning that about yourself, I am nothing. I will always be nothing. I've always been nothing. All I have is what God chooses to give me. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Listen to this, Judges 7, 19 through 21. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had been newly set to the watch, though so they had just started their watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers in their hands. And, all, and the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. And held the lamps in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand to blow. And cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood, every man in his place around about the camp and the host ran and cried and fled it wasn't even a battle the battle belongs to the Lord it's his it's just his all he's asking us to believe is this perspective of God is there anything too difficult for him no there is not will he I don't know but he can so that changes how I go and how I've gone through my life since I was 16 years old See, the whole host of the enemy fled before Gideon and his 300 at the sound of these trumpets. They broke the pitchers in their hands. And I, I don't know, but I was reading some commentary on this, and the breaking of these pitchers represented, I'm, I'm, I'm shattering human reasoning. I'm shattering my own thoughts of who I think God is. I'm going to believe the Word of God. I'm breaking human frailty and all sense of, of, of self-hatred and, and self-loathing and worthlessness, and I'm trusting God. See, they smashed it all, and they held up the torch. And it says in the Word that it was inside a clay vessel. And that is a symbol of the power of God. Not of me, of God. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? And I will say to you, since I was 16 and it became real in my life, a resounding, no, there is not God. You can do absolutely anything. You can save the unsaved. You can break the unbroken. You can love the unloved, Lord Jesus. You can do anything. Listen to this, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, they shouted. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Let's rise to our feet. That means the power of God through people who believe Him. Through people who believe Him. When you decide to stand in a public place and you decide to refuse to let the testimony in your life be hidden, God will do for you what He has done for Gideon in this army. He will do it. He will send confusion into the ranks of the enemy. The Bible tells us that the Midianites started turning and fighting with each other because of the confusion in the land that God did. Confusion ensued because of a visible testimony of God. God had arisen. The people believed. That's it. They just believed that God, in spite of their weakness, in spite of their frailty, the same incredible voice is available to me today. To me. To me. It's available to me so I can go forth tomorrow morning on a Monday morning and say, it's Monday again. It's not a duty. It's an opportunity to make an impact in my sphere of where I work. All that has ever been necessary for someone. Maybe 10 of you 
Maybe 20 of you in this room today. Maybe 25 of you. You know what? Maybe a hundred of you. Maybe all of us this morning could declare, I believe God. I believe that God can take my life and make a difference. I believe He can put compassion in my heart and make me a voice in this generation. I believe He, even in my insufficiency, that I am enough through Him and I can do anything that He has called me to do and all I have to do is bring my nothingness to this banquet just as a breadcrumb and I believe that God will provide anything that I need at the table. It might look like a suicide mission for God to send you where He's going to send you, but when you declare the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon on the hill, you will watch and you will see what God will do. It's 2020. It's time for God to move. It's time for someone to get excited about it. This is God's Word this morning. And it comes through a surrendered heart and a believing heart that all that is needed to make a difference is I surrender, I submit, I believe. This has always been God's answer to these moments in history and all the 25 years since I have believed this. It's time for a bunch of bread comes to come together and to roll down the hill one more time over the enemy and all that the enemy purposes to do. We have the power to flatten the camp of the enemy. Listen, I know that the enemy hates this word this morning. I know that the hell is trembling this morning. And I know that the enemy knows what will happen. But we sometimes forget. But the enemy knows what will happen when you, New Hope Church, start to believe a word like this. Father, touch this response time this morning. Seal this word in our hearts. Let every single soul and heart in this room this morning respond in some sort of way, saying, I'm bringing all I have, Lord, in my nothingness, and I'm bringing it to this great invitation to believe you and to understand that, behold, you are the Lord, the God of all flesh, and there is nothing too difficult for you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Come to the altar this morning and believe that you will see a victory. Hallelujah.